it's an area of artistry that's not spoken about or understood culturally, uh, unlike so many other uh, art forms. Welcome to House Guest with me, Carol Annett, Interiors Editor at Country and Townhouse magazine. Here I chat to those clever creatives behind the houses, hotels and brands you see in glossy magazines like ours. Guests include interior designers and architects, as well as celebrities dipping their toe into the world of decorating. Welcome back to House Guest for 2023. Thank you for joining me. My house guest today is Luke Deering, an art director, artist and sometime product designer. Hi, Carol. Thanks for having me. You and I met each other socially and I was absolutely fascinated by what you do because you have been working on all sorts of films, but including The Crown. And when we got chatting, just understanding the nitty gritty of what you do was so fascinating to me because, you know, you sit and watch these films or programmes on TV, having no idea really of the intricate craftsmanship and the sort of painstaking detail that goes in. You know, I think I think about sort of costume design fine, but when it comes to the set design, it's absolutely fascinating and involves a huge amount of craft and craftsmanship and collaboration. So can you just give us a little bit of background about your role and we might as well talk about the crown because that's you know it's it's now up and running and the next season is out so give us a bit of the history of how it all came about so everything starts the script so you'll be handed a section of it from the uh, product designer so in this case martin childs and i mean it depends on the, the space you're doing but it, sometimes it's a very raw sort of concept and it, it's worked out as it's talked about and sort of engaged with and Sometimes it's already quite uh, conceived of. So in this case, for this season, uh, probably the most exciting uh, set to work on was the Windsor Castle having been burnt down. Which I worked on with an art director called Chris Wyatt. We've used Burley House and Stanford for a lot of the uh, shooting of Windsor in the, in the last two series. Um, so we've taken the main hall from that and obviously deteriorating to such a point where it was uh, completely collapsed and uh, burnt in. So we actually, so we started, you know, so we surveyed the room um, at Burley and then we uh, started sort of working out exactly to the, you know, the extent that it would be burnt down and destroyed. And it's really, you know, you start off with very sort of quick sketches, references. Um, you know, we looked at sort of Paul Nash with his um, quite um, vast scenes of uh, the First World War, very sort of dark, sort of charcoal-y blues and blacks. And then obviously under, under Martin, we slowly sort of engage with that and see how we can create a space that sort of acts as a, you know, both a sort of symbolic reference to the episodes, that's Anna Sorobles, the Queen's Worst Year. And we'll start with sort of basic drawings and models, and then with the DOP, we'll work out what sort of angles we want, uh, with a director as well, of course. And it, it, it very sort of slow motion. So I think that that was a process of about three months creating that set. I mean, I love the idea that you talk about basic drawings. I mean, I've seen some of your drawings. They don't look pretty basic to me. I mean, how... <laughs> How long do they take for you to do um, a concept drawing of of what the room would look like? And also, there's you know fine details like the, those twisted timbers and the fireplace. I mean, it's it's it, the the detail is extraordinary. Oh, that's where the fun is. <laughs> <laughs> it's um, yeah, no, so you, yeah, you're referring to the barley twists uh, that occur in the house itself. I mean, it's. The drawings that you would have seen would have been the finalised point worked on uh, drawings. And, and, and again, they've, they've engaged with a lot of conversation around them and a lot of reiterations. I think the plan and elevation of that room that you would have seen would have been probably about the fifth or sixth version. Um, yeah. 
also discussing how much of a room we need. You know, I think we actually designed the bay windows within that room and took them out to realize it would be, it just wouldn't be seen. Uh, and of course, you know, with, with those drawings, we start off with a very sort of refined, uh, non-destroyed set. And then as we work with construction, we do different tests with fire and paint and uh, plaster um, to see how far we want to push that. Uh, yes, no, so yes, to, to achieve that, um, uh, the burnt effect of the Bali twist, we we, um, we have the moulds for those twists made and then they cast stone and other bits of some debris into them so that when the plaster cast came out, you get this very nice uh, burnt effect that comes out of them. And so the reason that you concentrated on that is that you knew that in the script that that's where the camera was going to focus or does it? do you then show it to... The director and he says oh that's beautiful I'm going to focus on that because presumably you don't want to end up making stuff and spending a huge amount of time on stuff that the camera's not going to linger on yeah so I think so again before anything's built um and even before a lot of the drawings are finished you know we'll make uh, a scale model or scale models of, of the set um so this uh means that when the again Martin the designer is communicating with the director and the DOP, they can very easily sort of walk around it. They've got something physical there to have these communications with and realise what it is they want. And I think it really depends on the directing style of the director or the production itself. I mean, some productions you'll go in and everything is storyboarded so uh, neatly and, and pre-organised that um, a lot of those conversations don't need to happen because they've, they've already gone through this sort of process. But with something like The Crown, because there's, there's so much content being shot on um, over a period of uh, seven months, and not just by one director, but by, um, on, uh, you know, season five, there's five of them. A lot of the problem solving and the sort of creation of the series happens as it's going, you know, if not, you know, about a month before they're shooting it. Now, the other thing I wanted to ask you about was portraits. Do you mm. do some of the, because also it's suddenly... It's it's all these things you don't think about 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 you know the queen is, has been such an enormous part of all of our lives. But then obviously, if you're playing the part of the queen, when it comes to your portrait, you need your face on that picture going up on the wall. So do you um, you literally do portraits of the actor playing Prince Charles in his finery, the actress playing the queen, and that's is that all part of your role as well? Um, no, not necessarily. I mean, so within, I mean, the, the art department's such a, um, it, it's a very well sort of delegated machine. So, so uh, within the art department, you'll have the production designer, Martin, supervising art director, um, art director, assistant art directors, draft people. Uh, alongside that, you'll have the set decorating department who concentrate on furnishings. Um, and then you also have a graphics department. Um, so obviously, as things are being digested through the script, things will go into their sort of natural realm. So the majority of the time, uh, the graphics department take care of anything that's sort of printed or graphic in that way. But with certain tasks, which are a bit more sort of niche, they do sort of seep out slightly. So I did aid in the production of a few portraits, which were, yeah, we'll have the stills photographer take pictures of the character in their garments. And then these are uh, reproduced in paint by a, by, a, by a portrait painter, not not myself. I did try and do that once. Um, I was going to say that you, were, you are a portrait painter. Well, I, I wouldn't call myself one now. I, I trained as a portrait painter, but I wouldn't. It's something that you need to be doing day in, day out to do well, which I really, I had to, um, I thought I'd be able to produce one for season four. I was going to do uh, Josh's portrait, uh, or Prince Charles's portrait, rather. And I found a nice uh, spot in the back lot uh, in our Buckingham Palace to start painting it. But uh, as you're sort of 
painting that, you're then having to go back and redraw another room or another space, and then the paint dries in a certain way, which means you can't keep working on it. And I just realised you can't you can't do everything. And I was I was being quite greedy, really. I, d- I did manage to do a charcoal sketch, uh, which made it in somewhere. Sometimes there's a portrait painter who will paint, um, you know, from scratch on canvas. And this way of doing it is, is more sort of efficient is that, you know, you'll, you'll have the photograph taken and then that would be manipulated on Photoshop with sort of brushes and textures like that, uh, which would be then printed on actual canvas. And then it will be given a certain type of glaze, which means that when the camera's on it and there's a slight sort of reflection, you'll get a, a sense of sort of brush and mark making on the canvas. Yeah. And I- Actually, the, the, the guys that do the uh, the texturing, one of them was my uh, teacher at Florence, George. He'll come in for that or anything else that's particularly sort of fiddly in that way. Yeah. Um, so, so tell us a little bit about your background and your training and how you came about to be doing what you're doing. Yeah. So uh, from a fine art painting background, so I did a foundation at Camberwell, UAL, and then I went to a painting, a fine art painting uh, school in Italy in Florence where I was there for about two and a half, three years. Uh, and that was a, a technique uh, called sight size. So it's a method of painting from life where the most uh, advanced piece of technology you're using is a mirror. So there's you know absolutely no photography. Photography is brand upon uh, to use as a reference, working natural lights, grinding your own pigment. So it was very much a sort of, I call it a, a more of a craft-based course than a creative one. And this, this technique of sight size dates back to, uh, to Titian. So it's the, the idea of having a canvas alongside a, a model or uh, an object that you're painting and you're painting from a distance of like 10 paces back. So you're looking back, seeing the, uh, the subject from a distance so you can see uh, it as a whole thing rather than lots of separate smaller things. So for example, if you're painting a face, you're not concentrating on one eye or one uh, nostril or, or ear, you're you're seeing them as one entity and sort of composing a, an image from that. And that's presumably that is how the great sort of portrait painters of the past would have painted. Yeah, no, no, absolutely. So, um, I mean, obviously it depends to your own sort of preference or idea of uh, who was a great portrait painter, but, you know, but most often referenced in that, in that form of education was John Singer Sargent. Uh, again, so it's, it's still, it's using the, the method of sight size. And it sort of borders into sort of impressionistic sort of strokes. So, you know, you'll have certain areas of the canvas where, you know, if you didn't have the rest of the image, you'd be sort of lost as to what it is. Um, yeah. But collectively, it all makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And then, and how did you get involved with um, film production and, and particularly The Crown? It was, yeah, really, really slow, organic process. So I, I, I came back from my time in Italy and I soon uh, realised that I was spending all my time on my own uh in a sort of damp <laughs> damp bleak studio space trying that's to find what, that's what artists are meant to do luke <laughs> yeah I, I realized i didn't like that part of it <laughs> <laughs> yeah and, and just sort of i mean particularly you know coming back to london where you've got you know huge overheads to deal with to, you know just to be able to afford to stay in the stay in the place i just felt like i was compromising what i actually found interesting in order to sort of pay my way and then it, you, you start thinking well the, you're making your life a lot harder for yourself because you're not even doing the thing you want to do yet that's still hard to make uh, a living by so I, I i sort of i i packed that all up started doing things and saying yes to things which i found interesting but had no sort of experience in so you know i even i worked for a uh, a tailor in milan for a bit came back uh came back to london again and then i started working for um an artist called petrox sesti uh, in shortage, which was um, that, that, that a lot of my design education comes from that time, 
so uh, you know he he worked on large uh, sort of kinetic uh, sculptures. Um, most famous for doing a very large sphere piece, which is filled with uh, silicon, liquid silicon, that has a uh, a rotary motor at the bottom, so it creates this um, beautiful sort of optic um, vortex on the inside of it. And his other assistants came from architecture and design background, so I was suddenly sort of looking over their shoulders and seeing them use CAD and 3D uh, modeling softwares and everything like that. And then me and, and uh, one of these guys started uh, designing furniture together, making it too, and um, I, I loved it. And it was one of those times where you yeah, you realize that you've actually got a lot, you've got a lot of other interests and sort of skill sets that you want to explore that you, I think I kind of was sort of naive to them just because I was so focused on painting before. Yeah. Yeah, but no, and then, sorry, so then um, me and this chap, we, um, you know, we started with the design together and then we started doing the set design. Uh, so we did sort of really low budget um, student projects. Uh, I think we did a, uh, we designed a 10 meter long spaceship corridor for a, uh, for a student project at Goldsmiths, including sort of, uh, we, we did it on a budget of, you know, next to nothing. And uh, <laughs> still sit in a workshop about, you know, about the size of a, of a Luton, broke our backs over it. Made absolutely no money, <laughs> but loved it. But then, and then, you know, it just kept sort of growing. You know, I started doing more and more productions. So I did a feature film up in Scotland after that. Again, very low budget. It was, you know, done the budget for like 50 grand, living in the house that you're shooting in, arguing about the cost of tins of paint. And then it just kept growing, really. And my, my big break really was getting onto Spider-Man. So of course, my whole experience of, in a production design before was very sort of economically based. And when when you get into the sort of the realms of Marvel, where there's no limit financially to anything, the only thing you're limited by then is just the sort of the restraints of time and probably gravity. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> but um, and was that yeah. all? Was that all shot in the UK? Which which uh, Spider was, which Spider Man was it? That was Far From Home. So it's when he comes over on his sort of European tour of the school. So they used London uh, in terms of shooting. Uh, they used London as a base. Um, so up at Leavesden is the Harry Potter tour. Um, it's what most people know that studio as being. And that was amazing because, you know, in, in the backlog, we were building everything from, you know, parts of Venice uh, around the Rialto Fish Market and then, you know, Tower Bridge in London, ruins of Mexico. And it, you know, the scale of these things were huge. Um, you know, we filled the entire water tank with a part of Venice. Um, <laughs> It was, and, but, and of course, you know, the level of detail and craftsmanship that I saw then was just, um, you know, jaw dropping. I'll show uh, videos to people of, the, of that set. They can't quite believe that it was what they were looking at was actually in Watford and not not in Italy. Amazing. <laughs> and I just wanted to go back to when Windsor Castle gets, um, they have that terrible fire. The set that you have built, do you just have one set and then you burn it and that's it? Or do you have the burnt out version, which has been sort of artistically created? Hmm. Um, so so what, what was the, the alternative to that? As in? So you, you have your set. Do you literally just sort of put set light to... Oh, I see, to actually create the um, the effect itself. Yeah, so we did, yeah. um, and also when I say we, I'm talking, you know, about the art department uh, as, a, as a whole, the construction team. Um, yeah, sure. It, it, it incredibly talented team of uh, craftspeople with, um, you know, years and years of experience uh, under their belt. So, I, you know, I'm learning from them constantly as to their sort of tricks and uh, ways of doing things. So um, a lot of the time, you know, yeah, you'll go down to construction with these drawings 
and you don't know how it's going to be made. And it's through that those conversations with uh, the construction manager and the HODs uh, there that it, it's sort of enabled like that. So yeah, so that that set that uh, you'll see is is constructed of a mixture of uh, plaster, uh, wood, bits of metal here and there, a bit of polystyrene here and there to create the uh, the fireplace. Um, and then to create the actual burnt effect, we this was torched uh, in areas, and then um, Mark Barris, the painter, would come in with his team and soot it out in certain areas too. So it was a lot of a lot of trial and error. But I mean, th those early stages of you know they, they built one panel of that set and started playing about with it, and realizing that we need to stain it first and then burn it. That that's the, the, for me that's the most exciting part because you're you're getting over these little bumps of how how something's going to be achieved physically. And do you do you ever watch it when it's actually on telly and kind of think, oh, you know, that's that looks good or oh crikey, I wish I'd you know put a bit more tarnish on that fireplace. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so no, yeah, yeah, completely. Like, I think one of the bad things of actually working in film and TV is that you stop actually watching it in an escapist manner and you start analyzing. I mean, I, anyone that works in the art department uh, will, will say that they, they spend the whole time watching the background, um, <laughs> not, not just on the things that they worked on, but other people's uh, uh, productions because you, you just, you know, you think, oh, they got around like that, they got around this by doing that. and uh working with this it's really fascinating and again i think you, you said at the start it's it's an area of artistry that's not spoken about or understood culturally uh, unlike so many other uh, art forms and um, but it's still i mean it's still i suppose this art form's only really been around you know since um movies have been made so you know within the last hundred years which is quite short-lived really yeah well i think it's absolutely fascinating um thank you so much luke and i am going to watch when i tune in to the crown i'm going to be looking behind at all the sets and seeing whether i can see your mark and i'll be applauding you um thanks thank you so much luke absolutely fascinating and good luck with do you what do you know what you're working on next i've just i've actually um i've just taken on a master's in architecture at the rca so i'm doing that whilst uh, doing commercials so i, I just finished the mls christmas advert brilliant oh well good luck with it all it's lovely to chat uh, thanks carol Nice to speak to you. Thank you for joining me today. You can hear more House Guest on British Airways in-flight entertainment in the audio section, along with our sister podcast, Breakout Culture, with Lord Ed Vasey and Charlotte Metcalf. You can follow me on Instagram at Carol W. Annett.